Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and we have another wonderful friend joining us today. One of our favorites, one of your favorites, the author of New York Times bestselling books, Love Does, Everybody Always, and Dream Big, attorney, humanitarian, seven with a seven wing, actually seven with an eight wing, author of Undistracted, which released March 1st. Of course, by now, you know, I'm talking about Bob Goff, everybody's favorite. So excited to have him here with us today. Bob has had some transformational experiences that we dig into a bit today. So you're in for a treat. Hey, people, so glad you're here with us today. Just thrilled that you're a part of this. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. Much love to you. And now here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Bob Goff, Enneagram 7 with an 8-wing. Welcome to Typology, my friend. Yes, it is so fun to be spend a little time talking and seeing your face. I have this advantage right now. Man, I am looking at the sunshine behind you at your home in San Diego, and uh, I am feeling bitter and envious. As a four on the Enneagram, my envy is... Lots of envy. Lots of envy yeah. right now. <laughs> hey, I've got the surfboards. I'm giving you the full <laughs> There's three, one for each of us. Man. So this is definitely my happy place. I've got the Harley is parked there. Ooh. Oh, my so gosh. I just say, like, what, what if you find your your happy place and surround yourself with all the stuff that just makes you smile man well you know the last time i was at your home which i think was i mean gosh it's probably been four or five years since uh we we were together there and uh, i i have a memory and it's actually in my new book the story of you i tell it in the the chapter on sevens that uh you and i were in your backyard looking out over the water and you uh, turned to me and you said, you know, Ian, if I ever saw a shark, I would just tell myself it was a dolphin with teeth. <laughs> I know. It's all about perspective. It's like, what do you see? Now, if you saw one fin uh, and it was me, I'm thinking, you know, dolphin with a lot of teeth. But if you were talking to sweet Maria, she'd say that's a thousand sharks and they've just pushed one to the top. She would see <laughs> <laughs> that is a bay full of sharks. Um, and so one of the things that uh, is challenging in uh, everybody in their marriages and relationships is that sometimes we think that people see the world the way we see it. And so then we're puzzled like when they don't. And, you're, uh, and then what I want to do is kind of flip that and just assume that God is up to something different in your life than he happens to be in mine right now. And I'm just curious what that is. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think that's a really important thing you just mentioned, because I think one of the greatest mistakes, and I could say of leaders, but of people in general, right, is to presume that your way of seeing the world is normal. 
Be, because if you take that posture, then you not only will misunderstand another person, you will feel justified in judging them for not seeing the world the way that you do. In other words, that they see the world abnormally. Yeah, there'll be behaviors or they, they'll appear like affectations uh, from you, uh, from your vantage point, but there's usually a story behind it. There's something, mm -hmm. I remember uh, pulling up as Washington DC and there was a, a woman that was the security person telling cars to move and, oh, she was shouting and waving her arm. She was just angry. And I wanted to go and give her a, a pill of some variety, but I'm, I walked up, I'm like, oh, honey, are you okay? And she looked at me surprised. She said, no, it's cold. This is how I stay mm. warm. And so she wasn't, it came across the appearance, like here's somebody angry with the world. And she was just actually kind of cold and that was the way to keep it going. So. I know sometimes people that have off-putting behaviors, uh, you might uh, size that up and uh, draw a lot of conclusions about them. Mm. And what I want to do is just like slow it down a little bit. Oh, people see this Red Sox hat of mine, right? And they assume I'm a Sox fan. And go, just try walking through, you know, Kennedy Airport in New York. <laughs> people will hiss at you. And if they knew I was wearing my dead neighbor's hat, I mean, they would just like, they would feel so bad. Or I don't know, maybe New York, they wouldn't. But like, but the idea that there's more going on under somebody's hat than you think, mm. uh, that's been a helpful organizing principle for me. Bob, we, it's been about, I mean, again, four or five years since you were on the show. You were on in the very first season of Typology. And uh, so just remind people uh, in brief what your Enneagram journey has been. When, it, when did it start? How have you used it? Um, how has it affected your life? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I intersected the Enneagram when I met this guy named Ian. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. So it was, it, I was ground zero for this experience. Oh, yeah. I could have oh. thought that was a box of cereal before I met you. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then I'm like, oh, wow, who knew? And uh, as the enthusiast, I thought, well, enthusiastically, let's find out as much as we can. And then sweet Maria, oh, she was all in. She did a cannonball into this. Uh, she even gets a, an email that tells her how to cope with uh, Enneagram 7 husband every day. And uh, so it just helps her, you know, step back from the ledge. She's just like, oh, this is just little insecure Bobby Goff uh, just dealing with his ish. And, mm. and so uh, that was the introduction. And then the more that I found with our community of friends, Miles Adcox had it on site and uh, both he and uh, uh, Maria and Don Miller had a bit of an intervention with me and said, like, dude, your issues have issues like you need to go. And so I went and I'm like, bring it. Let the healing begin. So all of the this uh, confluence of streams has uh, resulted, I think, in this continuing awareness by me of, well, why am I doing what I'm doing? And uh, mm. and it's helped me drill down. I found that there's like a story and you would know more about this than me, but little Bobby Goff uh, came up with this story that he would be totally abandoned. Like everyone will eventually leave me. So this is eight year old Bobby Goff with, you know, we all have our stuff in our past. And so that's the story I came up with. And then I made a rule. Here was the rule. 
don't go close to anybody. Don't go mm -hmm. deep with anybody. Why? Mm -hmm. The story, everybody's going to leave. Uh, and so then there's a behavior. And the way that I figured out not to go deep with anybody, just be funny. Mm. Uh, if you're funny, then you don't have to go deep. You'll just like keep it like, you know, snorkeling and no shipwreck diving. And then you wake up and you're 25 and everybody thinks you're a fun guy, but you don't have any friends. Why? Mm. I've been snorkeling for two decades and all the good stuff, all the treasure is got a couple fathoms deeper. Mm. And so this is this, even I'll turn 63 here in a week. And uh, I just go like, you know, what I'm doing is still learning that stuff. I want to go a little bit deeper and understand what are the stories and were they even true? Were they ever true? Uh, and if they were true at one time, are they still true? Mm. And they say, how about these rules? Could we rewrite a couple of those and say, maybe these rules aren't helping me. Maybe they helped me when I was eight. Maybe they don't help me when I'm 63. And to say like, oh, well, then let's just write a new rule. This is unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. Because you just basically summarized my entire new book, The Story <laughs> of You, which dropped a month ago, which is really about the stories we unconsciously write as little people to help us make sense of who we are and how we think the world works. And unfortunately, those stories are predicated most of the time on uh, mistaken beliefs, false perceptions, false interpretations of things that occur to us. Mm -hmm. And we drag those stories into adulthood without ever knowing that we're living by the dictates of, an, of a really a broken down, old, weary story and that we have the agency and the power, the opportunity, and I think the obligation to reauthor our lives. Yeah, and I think it takes a, a, a good dollop of courage to do that and a couple friends. I think yeah. people sometimes mm -hmm. are thinking, well, God's going to this or that. And I don't think he passes us notes. I think he gives us each other. Yeah. And so he, he certainly has given me you. Um, well. If there's anything that has given some clarity around this, it's probably because I heard you say it and said like, but yeah, that I've got more clarity on that. Uh, did you know this, Ian, that that pencil was invented a hundred years before the eraser? Isn't that crazy? Uh, and so I think, well, since the eraser is here, let's use it. And so maybe if you think of these stories that we've told ourselves as things that you've etched on a cave wall, kind of like hieroglyphics, then maybe we could get the eraser out and just say, I don't think that's true anymore, if it was ever true. And to just say, let's, uh, let's say, what, what can we do? A spelunking for a seven going deep is hard. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to scramble around on the rocks and jump and do somersaults. But that idea of going down in the hole where it's yeah. actually kind of dark and scary stuff happens, you go like, oh, yikes. Uh, because if your underlying thought is I will be rejected, then if you reject the phony version of Bob, balloon boy, like I just go and I'm definitely an authentically enthusiastic guy. But if you reject who I appear to be, that doesn't hurt. If you reject who I actually am, like, oh, that's like existential crisis. Mm. Yeah, so for for all of us to say, gosh, why am I doing, what are my outstanding behaviors and can I have a moment of authenticity and maybe not with everybody, but with somebody, find somebody safe mm -hmm. <laughs> and then be somebody safe, like be Switzerland. Give me a bar of chocolate and a bobsled. If it right. wasn't disrespectful, I'd make a shirt out of their flag. I just want to be the safe guy. 
Right. Well, you know, I just want to circle back and, and uh, in as much as you're willing to share, I'm fascinated by, and I didn't know this, that Miles, our, our mutual friend, and by the way, let's just give a shout out to on-site workshops for mm-hmm. those of you who are really interested in personal growth and uh, furthering your emotional, psychological, and spiritual journey, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a new direction. That as well as the Oaks, which we're going to get to in, uh, out in, in San Diego, your new project with Miles, right? Yeah, that's been fun. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a moment. So Miles and again, our mutual friend, Don, who I actually see a lot more than you. I just had dinner at his house the other night with Kirsten Powers and a few other people and had a a great time. Um, They actually sat you down, sweet Maria, and they sat you down and said, hey, man, you got some work to do? Yeah, well, it was uh, Don had written a book um, called Scary Close. Uh, Remember, he had gone to onsite and he had written a terrific book, uh, one of the best, uh, about uh, all the things he had learned and all that. And then he called me up and he said, hey, Bob, would you write the foreword to the book? And I'm like, oh, Don, I'd be so honored to. And he said, but you have to go to onsite first. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, hell no. Like wow. <laughs> a thousand times. You do not know how not into a week of therapy I would be. Uh, but that's when Maria chimed in. Uh, and I'm like, well, let me go. Let me have one more thing in common with my wife mm. um, and to learn some common language, to have a common experience. She had gone before and it really uh, set us up for ex- success uh, in having conversations about, God, I wonder what's going on here. Sometimes what we can feel like is like Pinocchio, like everybody's got a string except us. Like your work has a string and some relationships have a string. Maybe there's an in-law that's yanking on a foot or uh, whatever it is, but you got all these strings. And at some point you react and just say, I want to have all my strings back. That's Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. I got no strings to hold me down. And that sometimes happens to people at 45 and they get, you know, a convertible and do some other wacky behaviors. And, And so what if you didn't have the big crisis? What if you just started understanding what those strings are and to say these strings of attachment are actually really good uh, in the right context. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just want to say, like, at some point we have to figure out what are things connected to, right? If you were fishing for a bass uh, and your pole was all bent over, you'd want to reel that in and say, is that a bass or a boot? (laughs) And if you got a boot on there, just get the boot on and the bass on. Right. So... I went to the Living Center program at Onsite like you did. Oh, and you did? Uh, Oh, yeah. And, you know, for those who have never been on an experience like this, you know, there are some large group teachings on codependency or on, you know, various other topics. And then there's about six hours a day of group therapy, and a lot of it is trauma work. It is not for the faint of heart. I mean, it, they, they throw you in deep and fast. And, you know, obviously you start to see themes running through your life, right? You start to see patterns of, of feelings, thoughts, behaviors that have dogged you for a long time and you have to work out this stuff and you do it in very, very, very vulnerable, vulnerable ways in front of people who, you know, obviously are strangers that that doesn't last very long. You're qu- pretty quickly, you know, you're stuck with litter mates and they, they become friends pretty fast, right? But I just would love to know, Bob, what came up for you as sort of the big issue that 
perhaps you had been avoiding as a seven, you know, you, and uh, you mentioned abandonment, not, you know, uh, as, as uh, you meant, you use the phrase insecure Bobby Goff, you know, but like, what was the thing that really broke your heart when you were there? I think it's the, uh, the relationships uh, that have been uh, so strained mm. um, that that idea between, and I think people can relate to this idea. There's some people that are just not good for you to be around. Mm. Um, yet at the same time, my faith is kind of guiding steps into say like kind of loving enemies. I don't have like an enemy, but I just think relationships with family members that have been uh, more than strained and mm-hmm. to say, how do I say for me and my family, we're just, just cause the circus rolls into town, you don't need to go under the big top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to say like, I'm just not gonna, uh, hover around crazy, um, that we're just not going to do that. And so what, uh, if, if you would agree with this idea that we're reflections of or reactions to the people that have been closest to us. I just say, who am I reflecting and who am I reacting to? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes what you do is that you have a strained relationship and then you start ricocheting off other people because they remind you of that strained relationship. And so if you have a like a weirdly disproportionate response to something, you're not reacting to what happened. You're reacting to your whole life. And they just got the blunt end of that. And there's a beautiful verse in Romans that talks about like, as much as you have control over this, as much as you have a say to live at peace with people around you. And so that's been like a struggle for a guy who's a trial lawyer. Mm. Uh, like I'm trying to carve that new groove in my brain and then kind of go Grand Canyon on it. Uh, that if as much as uh, it's in my control to do, I'm going to live at peace. And so instead of words of correction, I'll just give words of affirmation. I'm not blowing sunshine at people. I'm, this is new day, new Bob. Mm. Um, and so even at 63 and 53 and 43, we get to say, I'm going to actually introduce some new behaviors It'd be more consistent with the man that I want to be Mm. rather than the person that... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I was. Yeah. It sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but as a therapist, as someone who, you know, knows you reasonably well, uh, that, you know, you're a pretty driven guy. You're a high powered lawyer. Uh, your, your energy is pretty endless, right? But I would imagine that in certain settings and perhaps at home, because that's where, you know, that's where we tend to be more parts of ourselves come out at home that we would not like to advertise to the outer world. You know, Um, were you a pretty hard driving or perfectionist or uh, a critical presence uh, in some of your relationships? You know, uh, who I showed up with as I thought it was supposed to be my dad Mm. Um, because that was my model. He's a great guy. Uh, he's just not me and I'm not him. And you would think that'd be self-evident, 
but uh, and, and he lives next door to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Uh, but uh, until college, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm supposed to be that. So sometimes we confuse who we're supposed to be. And so we just kind of hold in reserve, like the, uh, you know, who you are. And then the people around you don't understand you and you don't understand you. And little mm-hmm. Bobby Goff was usually running around without any eyebrows because they just burned off in the last explosion. And so my, my parents are like, who is this kid? And I'm wondering, who is this kid? Uh, and then at some point you get a couple people that remind you about who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been the greatest thing. Some of the friends that you've already identified, uh, you know, Kirsten, Don, Miles, you, people that just remind you who you are, that you don't need to be adopt a role because then if you're always the yippy skippy unicorn confetti guy, then you become a caricature of who yes. you actually are. Yes. So to just say like, but if I could just like be authentically me, First, start with somebody like Sweet Maria. I can't think of a time I've spoken somewhere in a setting, large or small, and not called Maria about 20 minutes before to say, oh, my goodness, I've got nothing to say. Like, I literally, it's somebody put a magnet on the hard drive because there is just nothing there. And she always reminds me that I actually, I think you actually do have something to say. And so somebody to remind you about who you are. Yeah. And uh, with that uh, underlying fear, what's the fear for somebody who doesn't have any say? Everybody will reject me. Mm-hmm. What's the reaction? Oh, be funny. Right. Um, so if you're funny, then you're just like, you won't be rejected. So when you see these like habits that start repeating themselves, it's just good to say, what's that connected to? Mm. Um, and so if, if somebody's listening to say, gosh, if I have some behaviors, what is this connected to? And then do the courageous work of uh, not only dealing with that, but maybe finding a couple uh, faithful friends to do it, uh, to do it with. Yeah. So, you know, as a therapist, I've been to onsite and this is something that oftentimes when I've worked with sevens has been difficult, but it's a, it's an essential part of the journey. I think for spiritual transformation. And and by the way, I, I this came to my mind this question I have for you because I haven't seen you in a little bit. I think I we were speaking at the same place maybe two, three years ago. I was you know, otherwise it's been texts, right? Or that kind of communication. You're different, Bob. Oh really? How so? Mm-hmm. It's that's interesting to uh, log in with somebody over time and say, Oh wow, you've changed. You know, I don't know. I think I think I would have to spend a, you know some more time and, and have a deeper conversation. But I have pretty good radar, and uh, and I trust my radar on certain things. Another thing, you know, I try to hold it humbly. I mean, I'm I'm not I don't I don't hit a thousand right. But I, generally, I go, oh, there's something going on, and I mean that in the best sense of the word. I, I sense a um, sort of a settledness in you right now, and a uh, a groundedness in you. And a wisdom, not that you didn't have wisdom before, but it's it's more it's coming from a different place. I don't I don't I don't know. I feel like it's really great. I just don't have language for it. But as I'm sitting here, I'm going, huh, some something's happened. And maybe it's not just turning coming up on 63, but something else is has uh, has come up. And I think it's lovely. I really maybe do. Realizing uh, the uh brevity of life. I haven't gotten the diagnosis that would be 
the dire one that someone kind of set the shot clock with a small number on it. But to realize that we get, uh, it's, I did that math at 27,373 days, give or take. More if you eat broccoli and less if you eat Pop-Tarts. Right. <laughs> so I'm probably in the 2,600 somewhere. Um, but to say there's going to be a point in time that I'm not there, what are you going to leave behind? Mm-hmm. If you think of the Wimbledon finals, you got everything going on in your life is the far left column, all the players. And then as you start moving things to the right, like what are the things that are going to actually outlast you? And I feel like I'm trying to move a couple more things to the right mm-hmm. when I get to the finals. Like what are the last things that are going to matter? Uh, and the scriptures talk about faith, hope, and love. So I just go like, what do I be known for? People are sometimes known for their opinions. They got an opinion about what hat you wear and this and that. And, but to say, what do you want to be remembered for? So someday I'm going to be in a jar. And that's why I do the tedious work of writing books, because I want something to lean up against the jar. Right. <laughs> this is what Bob thought. So so just to just circling back to that question, I think one of the things, the work that some that we have to do, and I'm curious because I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, God, there's something different with Bob. I don't know. It seems great. Um, is grief. And, you know, nobody wants to pass through the shadow of grief, right? It's, it's tough work. But in therapy, in on-site, different places like that, you know, you can't let go of something that's dogging you unless you can kind of, unless you can grieve it, right? That grief is part of the letting go, right? It could be, you know, uh, like letting go of a relationship that was disappointing, or it could be letting go of, of, of some circumstance in the past that has been wounding in some way. In your own personal work, what role has grief played? Yeah, it's been more recently, it's been a, a great educator. It gives me great context. I had a, uh, a Highland cow. Have you seen those Scottish mm-hmm. Highland cattle? Oh, I watched this farming life. Okay. Oh, so yeah. I have it's seen fuzzy. Them. It's awesome. And they're pretty big. Uh, and somehow this cow got pneumonia. I'm like a junior for, I don't know anything about, you know, cows. I don't know what in to put the hay in. Um, but this cow got pneumonia in the vet. Or we brought the vet out and they said it's really bad. And they gave it all kinds of shots. And I don't know how a cow gets sick. But um, I went out the next morning and this cow is just like like not doing well. Mm. And it died in my lap. I had its little head in my lap. Oh. I'm petting its horns. I'm like their buddy and it breathed its last and like this is all new and uh, i i'm emotionally incontinent i mean just cry at everything <laughs> so i'm weeping at the loss of my cow and this uh, uh guy that from the barn walked over and he said can i give your cow cpr <laughs> just such a i don't know where that this thing's 900 pounds i don't know where the heart is and it was definitely uh, not with us anymore um, and so just that idea of grieving that for like, uh, old Bob, the seven wouldn't have a shelf to put mm. that on. Mm. Like, uh, we, you know, made a hole really respectfully, a large one. And we put the cow in the hole. We had a service. Uh, there's a little girl out at the, uh, camp that's nine and, uh, she did the service and, you know, she came up to me afterwards. She said, that was a good cow. And I'm like, 
Yes. That was an amen. Um, and I checked back in with her a little bit later in the afternoon, you know, just to make sure she was doing okay. And I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, great. And in that moment, Ian, I realized I'm the cow. Like, mm. I'm going to be here for a while. And then somebody's going to say, he was a good cow. And then they're going to move on with their lives. And so what has, that doesn't bum me out, uh, but this realization that what do we leave behind? When you move it all the way to the right, what is going to outlast you? And that filtering filters out a lot of the noise and the, the disagreements that don't matter and the mm-hmm. misunderstandings. And I just, I think I want to, I've changed it up. One thing that's changed in me, you've uh, met cynics before. Mm-hmm. Um, and a new school cynic would like kind of roll their eyes and say like, yeah, Southwest Airlines. And they say something snarky about, you know, how slow they were, whatever. But in the old school cynics, there was a guy named Deosthenes. Uh, and get this. He was the founder of cynicism. He lived in a jar. Uh, now, it was a big ass jar, but it was a big water jar. He lived in there and he would go through Athens every day at high noon with a lamp that was lit. And people said, like, what are you doing? And he said, I'm looking for people with virtue. Mm. Is that awesome? So that old school cynic, man, I want to spend when you move things to the right, I want to be the guy that is looking for virtue in people. I want to be that guy. Mm. Beautifully said, man. Really one, beautifully said. One of the things is you're like, you know, you were saying that you sent something different. And I remember that even the previous interview and I've gotten to the privilege of hearing you speak a couple of times. But one of the things that I am experiencing is such a presence of peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the sevens typically are a very anxious number. There's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety underneath. And that's kind of one of the things I'm connecting to. You're talking about the groundedness. I'm just I just am experiencing so much peace in this conversation with you, Bob. Yeah, not only that, but but uh, Bob, we'll get back to you in a second. But here's the other thing I would say, just looking at you, Bob, that uh, you're the again, I, people can't necessarily see this if you're listening on on, on the podcast instead of on, on YouTube. But even the way that you are relaxed into your chair, your physical presence is different to me. Mm. And that's a, the body talks. The body tells no lies, you know. Yeah, maybe taking note of what's going on for all of us. I'm a big mm. note taker, trying to understand, like, what is it that I'm most susceptible to? Some people are susceptible to validation. Like, uh, that's what they're looking for. And I, I don't think that's me. Um, some people are looking for approval. Um, and I don't know that that's the fit. But to say, what are you most susceptible to? And then figure that out and then just put a bunch of truth and obedience over that Mm. to say uh oh here's a great here's something you didn't know Uh, anacondas you know if an anaconda wraps around you got one minute before you're done and if the anaconda wraps you could try to bite it but it wouldn't know like when it's in full constriction like (laughs) it wouldn't be able to tell an anaconda is susceptible to alcohol did you know that? Really? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, one drop of Maker's Mark on its nose and it'd be like, fine. Here's the problem. Most people that get wrapped around with anacondas don't have a bottle of That's right. Maker's Mark. Uh, <laughs> and, and if they did, it would be at their, you know, their sides, like very constricted. So, But what I want to do is take the thing that's been constraining you the most, 
what's holding you back the most mm. and to say, what is that most susceptible to? And I want to bring some truth and obedience to it. I want to say, I'm going to bring the truth about that. Uh, right. And I'm going to speak it over it. I'm going to find people that will speak over that. And that is going to be the release. I'm not going to let guilt have a hold of me or mm. like shame or you know, figure out what's your uh, thing of choice uh, or thing that is a persistent nagging thing and say, I think that thing is going to be susceptible to a big dollop of truth and obedience. Okay. So right now in your life, what is that point of susceptibility and how are you combating it? Oh yeah. I have been addicted uh, to activity. Mm -hmm. Like that is my drug of choice activity. I make coffee nervous. I'm just like, go, 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 go. So, So what I've done, part of buying the Oaks was to say, I'm going to bring the party to me. So for the last 10 years, it's been maybe a hundred to 110 cities a year, every year. And I just not doing that. So it'll be the odd trip that I'll make now somewhere because it's somebody I know, but um, I just pretty much stick around. Mm. And so what I did is instead of uh, picking your uh, job, if somebody's listening and say, pick your career, and then you backfill your life behind it, let's just pick your life and backfill your career about it. And Mm. it's a little scary to do that for a guy who's addicted to activity to just say like, uh, my alphabet had 24 letters in it, everything except N and O. <laughs> I was like, everything was yes. And I've like learned how to just say like, no, no, no. Or stated differently, hey, meet me up at the Oaks. I'm up there mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be the guy uh, down by whatever remaining cattle we have. Remaining cattle, yes. Maybe we'll call that the episode, remaining cattle. <laughs> Fewer cattle on a thousand hills. Um, Bob, so Undistracted, the, the new book, it's just dropped. Uh, I want to talk about it just for a moment. I find it hysterical that an Enneagram 7 has written a book <laughs> titled Undistracted, <laughs> Can Capture Your Purpose, Rediscover Your Joy. There's a lot going on in that title for an Enneagram 7, Bob. But just, you know, so folks know, just give us the snapshot of the arc of the book and what it's about. Yeah, it, it is. It was the book I was looking for. Because mm. uh, as the guy, just we're prone to distract. We're the dog and up. <laughs> and Earth is a squirrel. Like we're just like, uh, we're just mm-hmm. giving ourselves whiplash, getting distracted. I wanted to say, how can I sort out some of the things, like kind of return to this version uh, that wasn't as frenetic, that wasn't dealing with these behaviors to deal with all of my insecurities and how can I return to myself? And sometimes you feel like you need permission uh, to do something you already have permission to do. And so I want to kind of do this Jedi self uh, move over myself and other people to say, you really, you actually have permission to do much of what you want to do. You don't have permission to knock off a liquor store, but you do have permission to be authentic. You do mm. have permission uh, to uh, to know that you're invited to things that you didn't think you were invited to, wow. uh, that you thought somebody needed to uh, give you the nod to sit at the cool kids table or whatever, and then realize, I don't want to sit at the cool kids table. I, I, Jesus doesn't. <laughs> He's always at the kids table. So I just want to say, like, how could I like return to a version where I'm not 
trying to shout in a really clouded room. Oh, I went to a Bruce Springsteen concert because right? he's the boss, right? It was in college and I, I bought a bunch of tickets I couldn't afford. And then uh, four friends, we jumped in my car and went there and the boy, you know, he's doing his thing. And I'm in a row next to my friend and I'm trying to get my car keys. I'm like, do you have the car keys? But I'm trying to shout over all the music and the guys behind me thought we were in a fight. And I wasn't fighting. I was just trying to uh, find out if he had my car keys. And and what is happening sometimes is people, the room is so noisy with angst or emotion or whatever it is, or opinions and all that. And people who aren't mad are shouting. And uh, people who are undistracted, just wait till the music dies down a little bit. Mm. Like that I can wait. I don't need to be heard right now. I, I'm mm. okay. I don't need to have uh, a, a say in every controversy. Uh, I don't need to be right all the time. That as, as a trial lawyer paid to be right, and uh, as a person trying to fallibly follow the steps of Jesus, I'm trying to be him. And so if that means being misunderstood, and that happens all the time, you know when people tilt their head like two degrees? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, as Finkter says, what? Like they just don't know. Right. I call it the Labrador. Yeah, it's the Labrador yeah. Retriever. When your dog doesn't have a clue yeah. as to what you're telling <laughs> it, you know, exactly. it goes exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm willing to be misunderstood, and some people um, aren't. And I would just ask the question. I'm not smart enough to know. You would, uh, but like, what is that attached to? Tell me what that string's attached to. Um, and if you could just figure that out and get to the truth of what's really going on there. I mean, you've, you've seen the uh, Disney version of Pinocchio. He's red knickers and a blue tie and a cricket and all that. That is not the story of Pinocchio. Pinocchio was actually a stick with an attitude. Uh, and he ratted out Geppetto to the police. He said he was being abused by Geppetto. That is not going to sell copy. So Disney just did away with that. And they came up with a new thing. Pinocchio wanted Geppetto's house and he put his feet up on the fireplace after Geppetto was arrested and his feet burned off. <laughs> hey, Anthony, could you, could you get that off my shelf? That thing over there? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to show you something about either. And no. so the real story of, Pinocchio is really kind of dark and ominous. And so we just, we make up a new story. We put ourselves in red knickers and now you got this new story and it just isn't true. It's a great story, but it ain't true. There you go. I like your Pinocchio. That's stick boy. So yeah. I, I'm, for those of you who can't see, I'm showing Bob the Pinocchio that I have on my shelf. And Bob, you and I need to have a long conversation about Pinocchio because I actually have taught, I taught for eight weeks on the story of Pinocchio. Did you really? I, like the yes. real one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, I love uh, well, that. Both, uh, I mean, I referenced the original, and yeah. I've studied it, and of course the Disney version, because I think it's actually, in some ways, it's one of the most powerful spiritual stories ever. It, you know, people see it and they think, ah, oh, you know, it's a cute story. It's like, no, 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 no. If you get below the surface of that story, just an inch, and it is crazy oh, deep. Oh, there's stuff going on. Oh, yeah. And I would encourage, I would say for me, part of the adventure is instead of reading, you know, the classics and War and Peace and all that, um, Peter Pan, oh. you know, Pinocchio. Like, I love the beginning of Peter Pan. It's uh, 
that they say, why do the sparrows make their nests in the eaves? And the answer is they like to hear the stories. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, but they want to hear the real ones, mm. not like the made up ones. Yeah. Just say, and I think the people around us, uh, as courageous as we can muster, to say, well, this is what I think is going on. And to not feel like you have to have it all figured out. I think that's changed in me as well. I felt like they, I had to have a conclusion to everything. And I'd go like, nope. I, I would be so happy ending a sentence with the word the. Like, I'm just, <laughs> I just, okay. That's right. as far as I got. You know, Bob, one day you and I may end our last sentence with the word the. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Let's do that. One of yeah. the two of us at the end of a book is going to end it with the word the. Yes. Or yeah. what I was going to say was. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, I know, right? That's why people watch Yellowstone. That's right. Like, That's right. What's going to happen next? Yeah. Exactly. So leave a couple things unresolved rather than come up with a fake and artificial contrived ending with a mm-hmm. bow. To say, I'm okay with mm-hmm. that. I'm not aiming for that, but that seems to be where things go. So to say, yeah, more to follow. Um, somebody called me a moving target. Uh, and I'm like, man, best compliment ever. Like, I want to be a new creation, new day, new Bob, new everything. Same wife, new everything else. Mm. Um, I want to just say, can my perspective change? Can I deal with the sadness of what's going on around and fully envelop myself in the joy of what's mm-hmm. happening, the possibilities? Um, we, uh, we started a school in Afghanistan, uh, with love does, uh, several years ago and went over there a whole bunch. And then all this crazy happened in the last bunch of months. And, uh, we went to the Taliban and said, uh, will you let our girls go back to school? And they said, yes, (laughs) they've been in their seats since three weeks after the takeover, all because we just asked. And I thought you'd need permission. Like maybe you need to go to the UN or something. All you need to do is ask. And if you're respectful about it, now these guys are still crooked. I mean, you'll have to screw them into the ground someday. But to say that, but what really we need to do is ask these things that are immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. But some of us either think we need permission or we need somebody's approval. And I think what we need to do is to say, what are the things I want to see in my life or for the people that I care for and ask for those? Mm. You know, you're only uh, a year, maybe a year and a half older than I am. And uh, I was thinking, I just recently read uh, again, uh, Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal. Mm. And um, I was, you know, I read it probably the first time when I was 35. And, you know, when you read a book like that at 35, you read it very differently at 61. You know, I mean, it's an entirely different book at 61. And one of the things that struck me so powerfully was this image. He, he sets forth the argument, and this is worth the whole price of admission into the book, that in the spiritual life, the goal is um, to become as the father. And we tend to get stuck in being the prodigal. You know, everyone, you know, I'm the prodigal, you know, I came home, Jesus loves me. And, you know, that's okay. There's a season for that, I guess. But then there has to be this transition for real spirituality, for depth. When you say, no, at this stage in my life, 
I'm not, I'm not the prodigal anymore. I'm the father. I dispense mercy. I dispense blessing. I dispense kindness. Uh, I dispense welcome. This is my role now. It's not to be walking around going, you know, I'm broken. I'm right. You know, there's a, you know, it's, it's to say, no, uh, I'm an empowered father to bless the world and to, and to, um, spread mercy where, wherever I go. And so you just think of Rembrandt's painting with the hands on the sun, pulling the sun, his face into the folds of, of his, his robes. And Bob, maybe what I'm sensing with you today is, and again, you know, this is crazy, kooky Ian, Enneagram 4 guy, therapy dude speaking here. But what I guess what I'm sensing is maybe there's been a transition in your life toward a more solid self-understanding and self-identification more as the father who is in the world to bring blessing, uh, to bring uh, not just joy, but also to bring empathy and compassion, to see with deeper eyes. Not to say you didn't have these qualities before, but I th- I'm seeing them or feeling them in, in just a greater and deeper measure today. And I you know, take it for what it's worth. Whether maybe God, maybe God's in, in that observation. Maybe He's not. I don't know. But that's what that's what I'm sensing. Man, I just I received that, and I hope that what's happening is I just have a greater kind of situational awareness. When you're learning how to fly a plane, uh, you get up in the air, and then you start scanning from left to right to make sure you're not going to hit something, and something's not going to hit you. And they say, well, after you do this kind of scan left to right, then take 10% of the sky and look really hard at that 10%. And then take another 10% of the sky and take a really hard look at that. Um, so instead of just kind of a scan and you're going through life, just kind of generally an understanding of who you are and your circumstances, but to then take a really hard look at 10% of the sky. And I feel like that's maybe the it's, been going on for the last four or five years mm. um just take a little harder look and just say i wonder what's there i'm not doing it it's not playing defense i'm not saying what's going to hit me what am i going to hit i'm just saying hey what's there mm. uh and really taking a genuine interest in that and it'll mm. be f- faithful friends and uh that have already been dropped in each of our lives they'll help us remind us about who yeah. we are and you can tell you got a good friend because they don't tell you what to do they remind you of who you are, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They'll just say, they'll tap you on the shoulder and they'll say, you know what? I, I don't know what I'm seeing, but I'm sensing something. Yeah. Well, I want to end there because uh, that feels just like a wrap to me. Man, so good to be with you. This is a treat. Thank Man, you. I can't wait to now. Now I'm really hungry to get out to the Oaks and yeah. to spend some time with you. Yeah, get out there. We, uh, the only rule was this, no camp food. So I, we just put nice meal. <laughs> if it ain't salmon, I ain't eating it. <laughs> Man. Well, well, listen, everybody, I want to remind you about Bob's new book, Undistracted, Capture Your Purpose, Rediscover Your Joy. Uh, check it out. As you know, all of Bob's books are tremendous and will move the needle in a positive direction in your life. You can check out The Oaks. Bob, what's the website for The Oaks? Yeah, it's oakscenter.com. Okay. Everybody check out oakscenter.com. And while we're on here, since we mentioned it so much, y'all should all go check out on-site workshops in Cumberland Furnace, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. 
that's another place you can go to really develop in some deeper and more exciting ways to discover your authentic self and let go of the old stories, man, and find a new story for yourself that's uh, truer and, and more life-giving for you and, and for others. Bob, again, thank you so much. Love to your sweet bride and your kids and to all the people that you love. And I can't wait to hug you and be with you in person. Oh, likewise. So great being with you guys. Blessings on you. Great. Typology friends, remember these words. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. May you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.